According to U.S. Veterans Magazine, approximately only 4.5% of the nearly 3.6 million service members who have served in the military since 2001 have launched a business, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. You can certainly place Jason Skisik in this very category. He's a U.S. Army veteran, coach, and entrepreneurial evangelist. He describes himself as a father, husband, fighter, and carrier of heavy things. His company, Spear and Clover, helps businesses with good leaders, talented teams, and good playbooks go from contenders to championship teams. And Skisik joined me this week to tell me more about his time in the service, his transition to entrepreneurship, and so much more. I'm Kevin McShann, led to this conversation. Of course, yes, sir. Absolutely, though. Uh, Jason, I'm curious because I know you're a former Army veteran, so uh, uh, thank you for your service to the country, brother. But I'm curious about how, how your military experience has helped you transition into a career of entrepreneurship. That's a great question, Kevin. I uh, I feel like, um, I mean, for starters, I learned how to lo- how to follow. Right. And I think to be a good leader, I think you have to learn how to follow commands. That's number one. So obviously everybody knows that when you go into the military, there's a lot of discipline. You follow orders. You don't, you can't quit very easily. Uh, and so because of that, you learn how to make, you learn how to work with a team of people you didn't pick to do a job that maybe you don't want to do. Uh, and because of that, you learn a, a, a deep respect for the chain of command and the way that systems work. And then the second thing that really helped me to be an entrepreneur um, was probably the way that they train, they have to be able to train everybody, the absolutely least qualified person all the way up to the best qualified person. When you get trained in the army, everybody has to be able to achieve that desired result. And so as a part of that, I learned how to really over train people so that they are more capable when they're actually doing their jobs. And so that was a really good way. So I I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with delegation and with training a team and with not having to do all the work themselves. And I think the military was a a really great kickstart for me to learn how to delegate and to train my team well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also curious to ask ask you, Jason, if there was any sort of uh, adjustments that you had to make because, you know, as you said, 
uh, the military is all about structure and discipline, and you, you now becoming uh, uh, the leader or sort of the boss as an entrepreneur. Was there any sort of adjustment that you had to go through? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that, you know, the, the best example would be while I was in the military, um, I was put in charge of a couple of people for a few jobs. And I did a terrible job. I ordered people around. I expected them to do things that maybe I should have been doing. And this was when I was very young. And the, the lesson that I learned there was that's not leadership. Leadership is if there needs to be a hole, leadership is sometimes grabbing the shovel and, and digging in the front, right? We I like to lead from the front. And so um, the adjustment really um, was I try to never ask people to do things that I wouldn't do or haven't done in the past. Uh, and I try not to expect people to um, to have uh, an un, an impossible result. And I think being in the military taught me the value of that because you did have a couple of leaders where they'd be like, dig a hole there. And you'd work all day, you'd dig a hole there. And then the next day they'd come back and be like, why is that hole there? Put it over there. And it just, they didn't consider how much hard work went into those small decisions. And I really understand that. I really understand the cost of, you know, just flippantly throwing commands at people and expecting them to work tirelessly to achieve whatever it is that you desire. So I think very carefully about the things that I ask my team to do. I think very carefully about how I teach other entrepreneurs to lead their teams uh, and to do so from a position of supporting their teams, not just letting them be the fuel for your rocket ship, but being the fuel for theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that your company, Spear and Clover, helps businesses uh, helps businesses with good leaders and talented teams and a strong playbooks to grow and uh, contend as a championship team. So I'm wondering if you can tell me all about the support that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I sold my second business in two years, a year ago, November. And so for the last year, I've spent time every single day with my baby Lucy, who's just about 16 months old now. Uh, I do jujitsu and kickboxing every day, and I do my podcast, Spear and Clover, as you know. Um, and I enjoy it. I, I find that when I when I was not pursuing money, the things that I wanted to do was talk to entrepreneurs, to spend time with my family, and to pursue fitness and, and martial arts. And so now when I'm starting to launch uh, my new company, which is Spear and Clover, um, we're launching a product called Dynasty Defined, which is a great way for me to work with entrepreneurs to help them to instill strong core values, understand their mission, understand how to set and achieve really big long-term goals and how to break those goals down into to steps. And then also how to scale that magic between their ears out to their team so that they're not the ones working in the business, but they're the ones working on the business. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, just before uh, we get back to uh, your business ventures, but you know, I'm curious, does your new daughter already have you wrapped around her finger? Oh, my God. You want to talk about wrapped around your finger? Last night, she woke up in the middle of the night and just would not go back to bed. I think she's teething right now. And uh, she... Um, she stayed up we stayed up with her all night long and she was watching it's it's all baby shark for kids now so we were watching baby shark all night i'm definitely she's definitely daddy's little girl for sure well i won't make you uh, sing their uh theme song, okay? <laughs> thank you i appreciate that uh, well you're welcome buddy and uh, tell me about uh, your podcast buddy because i know that you use podcasting as a great way of 
communication is what. So tell me about all the fun you're having on your podcast. Oh, I was born to podcast. And that's not to say that I'm good at it. I don't know that I'm necessarily good at it, but I love it. Um, and the reason is I grew up listening to talk radio. My mom would listen to talk radio in the house. I would listen to Loveline at night in bed. I would go to sleep to it. I'd listen to Art Bell in the middle of the night, all night. Uh, and I would even listen to like sports radio and talk radio, like political talk radio. Um, and then as soon as uh, audiobooks became available with iPhones and things like that. And then podcasts, I've just been hooked ever since. And so, um, I love the art form of podcasting. I love, um, I, I always say the capital T truth. We're, we're on here. We're having a conversation. There's nobody telling us what to say. There's no commercials clipped away too. I mean, certainly we do advertise sometimes. Um, but because of that, I feel like this is a genuine conversation and that interests me. And so I have just really enjoyed, I've never gotten on a call with an entrepreneur and gotten off of that call with less energy than when we got on. I always am filled up uh, from, from speaking with other visionary entrepreneurs and people who are out there trying to make an impact on the world. And so the podcast has been super fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing like authentic conversation, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I love that. And Jason, no matter what type of leader you are, whether you're a leader or uh, someone that's being led, you know, we're all we're all all consumed with sort of the return on the investment that we make as leaders and as employees. So tell me, how do you measure effective return on investment as a leader in terms of leading your employees? That's a really, really insightful question. That might be the best question I've ever had on a podcast. I love that question. Um, and I'm also buying time to think of a good answer, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> the answer is this. I mean, uh, it's 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 not so much a return on your investment that you get something. It's a return on your investment that you don't have to continue to pay something. And that thing is time and attention. And so if you've ever been an entrepreneur where in the beginning or, or even currently where you feel like every single day you're solving the same problem over and over and over again, when you invest effectively in training and hiring the right people to be in your, in your company and then training those people to do what it is that you do to a very high level, the return on that investment is your freedom. It's your attention going from daily fires to big audacious goals and scaling your vision and your impact on the world. And you cannot do that if you don't invest in a team and give them the training that they need so that they understand exactly what they can be doing at any given time to get your company into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. And then to that point, Jason, I'm also curious to get you to define, get you to define what it means uh, for you when it comes to championship leadership. How do you define that term? That's a great question. Uh, and I'll give you a story. It's a story that I heard from a former mentor, Alex Charfin. He's great. Uh, can't more highly recommend him. He said, if you go to, let's say the Bears, I'm a Bears fan. If you go to the Bears training facility and you catch on the very first day the new wide receiver who just got drafted into that team and you walk, talk to him before he ever walks in the door and you say, what's your lifetime goal? That guy's going to tell you, I'm going to go to the Hall of Fame. 
Okay, well, how are you going to do that? I'm going to win a championship every single year as a Chicago Bear. Okay, how are you going to do that? This year, we're going to win the championship by beating these teams, these division rivals. How are you going to do that? I'm going to walk through that door. I'm going to do these squats, these sets, these reps. I'm going to watch these films. I'm going to work with these players and these coaches. And that's what I'm going to do right now. So here's a guy who's literally never walked through the front door that knows exactly what he can do every single minute to make himself get to the Hall of Fame in a lifetime long career how many employees do you or people that you know have that could say the same about your company and that's the problem kevin is that people don't understand culturally we understand that in sports it's been so ingrained in sports that we have what i call dynasty organizations right there are organizations whether you want to look at the new england patriots uh you want to look at the la lakers or any number of different teams where it almost doesn't matter who's on the court they're always in a, the running for contention right? The Green Bay Packers have had two coaches in 50 years. They've had two quarterbacks for 20 years. And it seems like no matter who's out there, they always are in a position to win. And I believe that's the foundations that the organization is built on. And so when I talk about championship leadership, I talk about not just the managers, not just the team or the players, and certainly not just the playbooks, but the foundation, the bedrock that you build your company on, and then the frameworks you use to scale that as you bring people aboard. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you know what? That doesn't make uh, sense, Jason. I question my decisions as a football fan every year because I'm a, <laughs> a long suffering Lions fan, my friend. Oh, buddy. And, yeah. Uh, this is not going so well for me, buddy. No, I know. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm I'm a Bears fan, so I'm I'm there with you. But I think uh, I think I understand what you're going through. Well, at least you'll have two guaranteed victories this year when you play Detroit. You got that going <laughs> for you, right? Yeah, that's a good a good. We got that in the back pocket for sure. You know, Jason, I'm gonna share a quick story about myself. You know, I was born with what's called. Of spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy, simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. Mm. Uh, and you know, I always tell people to define their championship moment. And mine um, came when I was nine years old. You know, my parents and I, I went into a hospital conference room, and the doctor told my parents that I probably never. Uh, be, be able to walk on my own, so, you know, the next day, you know, I had, to, I had to go back to school and sort of internalize what what I had just gone through, and I credit, I didn't know this at the time, because I was nine years old, but I credit my middle school principal, her name was a Dr. Carol Crowley, and she looked at me after I went through my whole a spiel about what the doctor had said, and she had already knew that because uh, she knew that, that I was headed up there uh, the day before, and she had everyone that was assigned to my file in her office the next day. And after I went through the story of my emotions and everything, she looked at me and she said, uh, the only uh, limitations that you'll have on your life are the artificial ones that you place on yourself, and I, I really thought, think that was my sort of championship moment in mm -hmm. life and how I view the rest of my life. So I'm curious to ask you, what's your uh, championship moment, my friend? Wow, first of all, that's an amazing story. That's super interesting. 
for me, you know, I think I could choose a lot of different things. I think that uh, I grew up, um, I was in a, uh, I was severely ADD as a young man. Um, I have two core values that make up Spear and Clover. And, and it's this symbol right here, if you're watching the video. Uh, the Spear represents military mindset, and the Clover represents spirit of the puppy. These are the two things that make me me. And I was born with spirit of the puppy. I had to join the army to get military mindset which is discipline and hard work and showing up on time and all that but i think my championship moment was probably um i spent from second grade until seventh grade in a behavior disorder school for add because i had add and it was it was a pretty scary place there was criminals there and there were people with a lot of much more severe problems than I had. Um, I saw a lot of fighting. I saw attempted suicides. I saw all sorts of terrible things. And I think statistically, I was supposed to follow that path. But instead, I made my way back to regular school. I ended up doing pretty well in school. Um, and I, I took that uh, it, while I was there, I was able, because I was the only person as young as I was there, I was able to study it on my own pace, which uh, they actually had me going through multiple, you know, school books per year. And uh, so because of that, I took a, a totally different approach to life than I would have if I had gone to traditional school, which, as I, I think, you know, really is just a system for creating employees. And so by being in this environment, I actually turned it into an advantage, which I think is one of the reasons I've become so entrepreneurial in my adult life. Uh, so if I had to pick one, I think that's my championship moment was getting out of that school and, and what I gained from it. Yeah, you know, you know, Jason, I always tell people that the day that we stop learning is the, is the day that we die, right? We always have yep. to constantly evolve. So would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I would also say that... Um, understanding that has been really freeing for me understanding that uh your mother or father or somebody you know at work doesn't necessarily keep growing and maturing and and it's your job to do that and so at a certain point there are times where people are older than you or more experienced than you and you have to understand that they may not have the level of evolution or or maturity that you do and that's been very freeing for me uh as opposed to just assuming that everybody was on the same journey of learning and improvement that i am yeah, Jason, and I know for the last dozen years that you've also owned a CrossFit gym in Chicago, and you're all about building tribal communities, buddy. So tell me, uh, why is that such a passion for you? And uh, talk to me about uh, living in sort of the fitness fit, uh, fitness space and how you've sort of had to evolve. Yeah, we opened Chicago Elite Fitness, which is also Bucktown CrossFit. We opened that in, in 2010. Uh, it was two uh, military friends and I that did it. Uh, and I was concurrently going to school for finance, and we opened this small gym as a side project, as a fun thing to do. Um, and I will just say that my entire life since the Army has been characterized by trying to work and be around an elite team the way that I was in the army. And CrossFit provided that for me. It was like-minded people that are typically very virtuous and fun and friendly. We were very tribal. We, you know, had a shared language. People dressed similarly. We worked hard, uh, incredibly hard, harder than almost anybody out there. Uh, and we loved each other for it. And so uh, our gym was very well known for having, uh, and it still is uh, now, although I don't run it day to day. 
Our gym was well known for having a ton of community events. In 2019, we did 50, over 50 events in 2019. Uh, so we did more than one a week. Um, and, and I think, uh, for me, the, um, the tribal nature of, of, of that is something that I want to continue, whether it's with the podcast or now with the way that we're doing Dynasty Defined, is going to be in a cohort where business owners are working together and networking and helping each other to solve problems because that's just so much more worthwhile. I think I've really fallen in love with the journey of entrepreneurship, of problem solving, even of like martial arts and fitness, the journey as opposed to the destination, which might be the championship. And so I love collaborating with other people across all of those things. Yeah, you talk about the journey, uh, Jason, and I don't know if you know this, but October is actually uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Wow. So I'm, I'm super excited to have that conversation with you uh, during this month. So tell me about how you think we can build more avenues of inclusion for folks with disabilities in order for them to get Well, I think for starters, having a conversation like the one we're having right now, um, and then secondarily, doing something like you're doing right now, you've created a opportunity for yourself to do what you are clearly very good at. You're asking some of the best questions. You're clearly uh, a fucking, you're genius interviewer. Uh, I recently had a, um, a podcast guest, uh, John and, and Mark Cronin, uh, who I highly recommend you talk to. Um, John is uh, has um, uh, Down syndrome, and his father and him started a company called John's Crazy Socks, and they are the most wonderful people you ever met. They have the largest sock company in the world. They have 4,000 different pairs of socks, and they have, uh, I think, 24 of their employees have uh, are different abled, uh, and they're starting a company where uh, anybody with disability or, or neurodivergence uh, can work with them and they help them to start their own small businesses. So it's people like John and Mark Cronin that are doing the most. Um, I, think, I think we're in a world where with social media, with podcasting, and, and with the internet in general, anyone can speak. And if you can speak and people can hear you, then you can make an impact. So you're no longer in a world where I think you need to ask for permission. You just need to put out things that are good. And I think, Kevin, you're doing that. Well, I appreciate the compliment for sure. And, you know, I always tell people once they find their passion, it's really the purpose that defines the rest of their lives. Would you agree with that? I would, I would agree with that. What I would say is I think it, it's a little more difficult to fully identify what that means unless you give it the time that it deserves. Because I think there's some people, if you would ask me maybe seven years ago what my passion was, I would have told you fitness. If you would have asked me two years ago, I would have told you helping gym owners. And if you asked me today, I might, if I was mistaken, tell you working with entrepreneurs. But really... My passion is helping people. I think that each, I think of people as having sort of primal roles in our communities. So an example would be, there are people who are farmers. There are people who are teachers. There are people who are police officers. There are people who are 
uh, carpenters that like to build things. I think of myself as a shepherd. And so my job, the thing that gives me the most energy is helping people get to the destination that they want to go to. And so I think it's taken a lot of time and thought for me to really understand that about myself because the medium has shifted over the years, but the constant has been helping people on a journey, particularly hard journeys that they're passionate about. Helping them on that journey is the thing that fuels me the most. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, Jason, you know, I'm a big proponent of celebrating life. And all that celebrating wins in life comes with. And, you know, I'm always curious to ask entrepreneurs about yourself, like yourself, what your non-negotiables in life are in terms of both your professional and personal happiness. So what are your non-negotiables in life? Well, you know, that's a hard question to answer because I don't think I've defined what my non-negotiables are, but I can tell you that I'm a big fan of the book, A Perfect Day, and I do structure my week around first the things that I want to do and, and then the things that I have to do. And so I try to do things that give me energy. So if I were to show you my calendar, I spend a few hours every morning with my family, with my wife and daughter, drinking coffee, having breakfast. I spend three hours doing martial arts. I do kickboxing and jujitsu typically five days a week. And then I start my work day, you know, after lunch and a shower, you know, from one to 5 PM, this is when I can give you the most energy. This is when I'm excited to be there. I've already achieved my personal and familial goals for the day. And then in the evening, it's, you know, putting the baby to bed and family time. And so for me, I do that seven days a week, pretty much, uh, with some variance on the weekend sometimes, but because of that, I've structured my life so that I think of myself as a shepherd of my own attention span. And what I mean by that is I try to make what I do for a living something that I'm super passionate about that I love to do. And so it's a lot easier for me to guide my attention in that direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at uh, sort of life and business fundamentals, I'm, just, I'm curious to ask you, when you look at business prosperity, how do you define that in terms of, building a sort of foundational uh, foundation for success. So how do you uh, define business prosperity? I would say business prosperity is owning a business that you love with a team that energizes it for you and having all the, and having the amount of free time that you want either with the business or with your personal life. And so to me, success is really about harmony in your life. Right. I think of like a three chambered heart sometimes where you have like your business or your professional life, you have your social or your family life, and then you have yourself, like your self care and your personal life. And if you take blood from any of those chambers, the others suffer. And so because of that, I find that you can only expand that heart by adding blood to each chamber, if that makes sense. So, so by becoming more efficient, you can have more time with business, you can have more time with family, and you can have more time for yourself and social. But I think all of it is important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Jason, talking to you, I, I'm fascinated to ask you uh, this next question because, you know, in today's society, engagement and conversation has sort of gotten blurred, blurred unless you're on a certain side of the aisle, both uh, societally and politically. So I'm curious to ask you, when you look at the world today, how do you think we can sort of Ribs the gap of unity that we're sort of facing. 
fact that we have more in common than we have apart. So how do you think we can create a more uh, unified sort of uh, approach to solving problems in the world? Well, I'm not a cynic, so I won't answer that we can't. Uh, so it brings me three things that come to mind. Number one, conversations like this. I don't know your politics, but I know that just by talking to you for the last 27 minutes that we get along. I like you. And if you told me at the end of this conversation that you despise some political belief that I have and it's really, really important to you, I believe that at that point we could say, oh, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe it. But we would part as friends. But if we led with that at the beginning of the conversation, whatever that might have been, then it might have been a problem for you but probably not for me. I don't know about for you either, but uh, that's number one is, is having conversations and finding common ground with people. Number two is um, I think that we need to, as people, mature and stop uh, putting up walls. We need to build doors instead of walls. And what, what I mean by that is starting to love your enemies. I, I've written about this. I've talked about this. I believe strongly that you should love struggle, adversity, and your enemies. And it's for two reasons. I think Sun Tzu would agree with me. It's for two reasons. Number one, it's to identify that there are really brilliant people and the wonderful people that disagree with you completely on certain things and maybe many things. And that's okay. That's the human experience. That's number one. And then number two is if I understand, um, like, so let's say, for instance, you and I disagreed on some political idea. If I could truly understand, assuming you didn't just pick something out of thin, thin air, that you had actually considered your position and you had thought of it deeply and you would come to an opposite position than me. If I could understand how much thought and effort and why you believe that, if I actually want to change your mind, now I have the tools that maybe I could do so. But there's certainly no way that us butting heads is going to do that. And then the third thing that comes to mind for this is what I call the hundred years mistake. And what it feels like to me, Kevin, is in the last hundred years, whether that's the industrial revolution or science or politics, we've decided everything needs to be modernized and changed, whether it's how we raise children, whether it's how we communicate, whether it's what our jobs are and how our lives are supposed to fit into them, uh, what medicine is and, and medical treatment. All that stuff seems like we've put all this time and effort into building technology only to now figure out oh no, actually it turns out you know, eating this plant is actually better than taking this pill or spending more time with your children is actually better than sending them to daycare all the time or being out in the sun and in nature is actually better than living in a high rise. And so I think that once we can identify that and really um, implement that in our societies, I think we're going to start to see that that we have a lot more in common than we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, I'm also curious to ask you how becoming a parent has change your perspective on that is a great question i don't know if i have a fully formed answer i did i will tell you that i didn't feel the thing that i think you expect you're going to feel my universe didn't change the day that lucy was born uh i didn't um I do love her more than I could ever imagine loving anything, but it wasn't the way that it had been described to me in movies and books and from people that I had spoken to. Um, more than anything, I think I have a stronger connection to legacy, meaning I want to learn how to live the best that I can so that I can teach her how to live the best that I would think she could. And that's, I think, how you make an impact on the world. If enough of us do that, then the next generation will be better than the previous generation. And if enough of us don't do that, 
then the next generation will be worse. And so in some small way, that's changed my my perspective. Um, I try to live my, I've always tried to live my life as an example, but now I actually have a person in the audience, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you led nicely into my next question and my final one for our conversation today has to do with your own personal and professional life. You kind of answered that in your last answer, but I'll give you the floor to give me a more uh, full answer on that subject. How do you want your uh, personal and professional life to be defined? That's a really great question. I think that for me, um, I would like. I like to say I like to make business babies. In other words, I like to help you impact the world through your mission and vision. And the more people that I can do that for, and the bigger their missions and visions get, the more opportunity that I will have to help them along that path. And to me, um, if you ask me that same question about my gym, the thing I'm most proud about my legacy at the gym is the 10 or so babies that were born because their parents met in our community. You know what I mean? And so to me, uh, if you ask me in 20 years what my legacy is for my businesses, hopefully it would be I could point to many multi-million dollar organizations that are impacting the world in a positive way that I helped along the way in some in some way. And I also, of course, um, would like to build my business as well as we do that. But that's kind of a function of that. But that's the mission. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Jason, tell me, people want to get connected with the board, that's a new buddy. What's the best way they can do that? Great. Uh, so I'm at uh, Jason Skisik at uh, Instagram, um, Spear and Clover on Instagram. You can reach me at Jason at SpearandClover.com, or you can just go to SpearandClover.com. Fantastic. Well, Jason, I have to tell you, we have certainly an engaging, energetic, and thought-provoking conversation about life and business, but I hear work in the space and time on my behalf are most appreciated. I was delighted to engage in conversation with you today, and I want to thank you for being here. It's most appreciated. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you having me on. This has been great.